Please join me in the litany of invitation and confession, which is printed in your order of worship. Let us, like Elijah, call on the name of God. Let us, like Elijah, care for the most vulnerable by offering bread and healing. Let us, like Elijah, speak words of power and judgment. May we learn to be people of hope and abundance. Sisters and brothers, God will come to the lonely. God will give strength to the frail. God is generous and love and full of grace, and God has forgiven us.
On the heels of a great victory, Elijah becomes depressed, and God meets Elijah at that place of despair. A reading from the book of 1 Kings. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So may the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life like the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid. He got up and fled for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah. He left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a solitary broom tree. He asked that he might die. It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the broom tree and fell asleep. And suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, Get up and eat. He looked, and there at his head was a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. He ate and drank and lay down again. The angel of the Lord came a second time, touched him, and said, Get up and eat, otherwise the journey will be too much for you. He got up and ate and drank, and then he went in the strength of that food forty days and forty nights to Horeb, the mount of God. And at that place he came to a cave and spent the night there. Here ends the first lesson. Now let's say our prayers. God, who delivered Israel from slavery and who raised Jesus from the dead, we worship you this morning. Out of the deep gratitude of our lives for life and joy that we have from your hand, we bring our worship. For the youth of Tolliver County who brightened our days, we give you thanks. We give you thanks for Jaquela and Sarah Bell and Jeremiah and each child with whom you graced us this week. May you watch over them and help them to grow in Christ just as you watch over us. For those grieving this day, we lift them up to the heavens. For Kathy Harris's family, for Carolyn Herndon's family, and for each here who carry burdens they alone know, may you hear our prayers. We thank you, God, that you are a God who answers prayers, prayers uttered in the whirlwind and the thick silence on mountaintops, traffic jams, hospital bedsides, sidewalks. You hear us wherever and whoever we are. So hear us now as we pray the prayer your son Jesus taught us to pray, saying boldly, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespassed against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
After Elijah lingers long enough in the cave of despair, God calls to him, and Elijah hears the voice of God in the sound of sheer silence, a reading from the book of 1 Kings. Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, What are you doing here, Elijah? He answered, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the Israelites have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they are seeking my life to take it away. He said, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Now there was a great wind, so strong that it was splitting mountains and breaking rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind, and after the wind an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire, and after the fire a sound of sheer silence. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. Then there came a voice to him that said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He answered, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the Israelites have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they are seeking my life to take it away. Then the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. Here ends the second lesson. We might use this microphone. Ah. I'm going to let uh, you leave. Okay. You leave to All right. Use this. Okay. All right. Can you hear me? Okay. <laughs> All right. Good morning, everybody. It's so good to see you today. It's so good to see everyone. I have a big bowl of water, and inside the water, I have a water dropper. <laughs> Thank you. So I was wondering, how many drops of water do you think are in this bowl? 100,000? I don't know. That's a good guess. This is like guess the candies in the jar, right? Okay, so I brought a water dropper. Let's see. Do you think I can... It's got some numbers on it. Maybe we could count. Will you? Do you think we should count the drops? Yeah, count. I, I think I think if we start, that would be very efficient, right? We could get through all of them. Okay, ready? Here we go. Oh, wait. Were you counting? Wait. Let's start again. Okay. I think that was two, three. Wait. Are you? Are you? Are you count? Are you? Wait. Are you counting? I still have more in here. Oh, wait. There's more in the bowl too. Oh. Leah's counting. Can you hear her? She's going through her. She's, I think she's up to 20 now. Well, I, you know, I don't know if four minutes will be long enough to get to count all these drops in here. So, I, you know, 
I'm going to pass this water to Pastor Leah. And Leah, you can sit by me. You know, he's going <laughs> to. You know, in, in our Sunday school class this summer, we've been learning about uh, compassion. And today we were learning about showing compassion through mercy. And I brought that big bowl of water with all the drops to try and count them because it seems like with mercy, there's so much of it from God that you can't really count it because mercy always comes to us, but we don't always deserve it. We really never deserve. So there's all sorts of things. We talked about people having a conflict this morning, right, with Elisha. We talked about the, the sequel to Elisha. We talked about Elisha this morning, and we talked about the king and the Arams and all the mercy that they showed. The king of Israel showed the army mercy, and he didn't kill them. He showed them mercy, and he gave them a meal, and things turned out differently for Israel. And I think when God shows us mercy and we show others mercy like God, things can really turn out differently. And that's a good message. All right, you guys, let's uh, close our eyes and say a prayer. God, thank you for your mercy so much that we can never count. Help us to always show the same mercy and love to others that you show to us. In your name we pray. Amen. Jesus casts out the demons from a man who was possessed, and the result is that the freed man returns home. A reading from the Gospel according to Luke. 
Then they arrived at the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. As he stepped out on land, a man of the city who had demons met him. For a long time he had worn no clothes, and he did not live in a house but in the tombs. And when he saw Jesus, he fell down before him and shouted at the top of his voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For Jesus had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many times it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the wilds. Jesus then asked him, What is your name? He said, Legion. For many demons had entered him. They begged him not to order them to go back into the abyss. Now there on the hillside, a large herd of swine was feeding, and the demons begged Jesus to let them enter these. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the swine, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. When the swine herd saw what had happened, they ran off and told it in the city and in the country. Then people came out to see what had happened. And when they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those who had seen it told them how the one who had been possessed by demons had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him, but Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. So he went away, proclaiming throughout the city how much Jesus had done for him. The Gospel of the Lord. As I said last week, I am appreciative to all the worker bees who help make these services possible uh, every week, but in particular in the chapel. With our new pyramids, have those in place, with the flowers where they should be, the offering plates, people are ushed if they come in the wrong door, if that's a verb, and uh, brought to this place, and uh, also there's audio provided. So I wanted to make sure that everybody can hear well enough uh, today. Close enough? All right, good. Well, today's character with character is not only a superstar in the Bible, he is a superhero, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. I mean, he just keeps on showing up. Even at the transfiguration of Jesus, there he is, and in more conversation as well. In the Hebrew Scriptures, this superstar, superhero, uh, heals the sick, raises the dead, appears at just the right place at just the right time. He jumps on injustice. He exposes hypocrisy of the powerful and is not afraid to get in a firefight, all the way to a fiery chariot that swings low, coming far to carry him home. That's right. He leaves in a blaze of glory. It's kind of like this super superhero is the Avengers, the Fantastic Four, and the Justice League all rolled into one. 
He is not other than Elijah, the prophet. But in today's story, Superman finds himself holed up in a cave, discouraged, despairing, and depressed. The cave is made of kryptonite. Fear, fatigue, and isolation. I think that on the periodic chart, that is the components of the element of kryptonite. Now, you know of that place, don't you? Fear, fatigue, isolation. I know of that place myself. It is an unwelcomed place, an unsought-for place. But with that place comes a lifetime membership in the fitness center for spiritual growth. For there, he works on his role in the world. He works on growing himself, and he works on his relationship to God. The same things that you and I are working on every day, and especially when we come and open that book and worship. It's the church's job, too, to do all of that. And so we get to eavesdrop on Elijah the prophet's soul growth. And maybe in so doing, we can grow our souls, too. I want to preach on two things, two story arcs. Here's the first. Elijah claims his place in a noisy world. Frederick Buechner, I didn't bring it with me, but you see the Frederick Buechner quotation on the front of your order of service there? He says, if, generally speaking, a prophet to a king was like ants to a picnic, then Elijah was like a swarm of bees. Um, I don't know if that was on the Miller analogies test. Steve, do you recall that? Some of us had to take that to get into graduate school. Uh, ants to a picnic, but Elijah was like a swarm of bees. Well, like all superheroes, he has an arch enemy. And his arch enemy is King Ahab. Now, you would think that Ahab would be a Babylonian or an Assyrian, some sort of a foreign king. But he's not. He's Israel's king, a hometown boy. But he, he sees Israel's God as disposable. Ahab is to lead his nation, but he is ignorant of his nation's history and careless with the nation's soul. He courts Israel's religious leaders, the prophets, the priests, but the prophets, P-R-O-F-I-T-S, from the fertility and consumer, of, consumer religion of Baal is what he's attracted to. And so Elijah armors up with his Tony Stark truth-to-power suit, and he confronts the king. Per Beekner, as we just read, the king expects fire ants, so he's got his raid ready. But instead... He gets a fire brand. That would be Elijah. Elijah confronts him about his idolatry, and he challenges the king and all of the king's uh, paid-off prophets, P-R-O-P-H-E-T-S, to a duel. Basically, the uh, gauntlet was thrown down that my God can whip your God by God, and all of the priests of Baal and the king take him up on it. Now, you probably know this story. It's in, Eli it's in 1 Kings chapter 18, followed by what we read today in chapter 19. 
you may remember it from the Bible, but you also might remember it from Mendelssohn, as we talked about a little earlier. Uh, Elijah gives the people this passionate word, choose this day whom you will serve. If God be God, serve God. If Baal be God, follow Baal. He listens for an amen, and all he hears is crickets. Nobody says a thing. So, off goes the duel. They kill this bull, which won the bull's idea, I'm sure. Kill the bull, split him in half, puts the blood and the guts all over this altar, and then the priests of Baal march around parading and pleading with the false god. You remember from Mendelssohn, uh, I, I get to sing this and reference it once a year, so you have to put up with it, Amy. <laughs> you know, Baal, we cry to thee. Baal, we cry to thee. Hear and answer us. He goes, well, maybe you should cry out louder. Louder, Baal, we cry to thee. And off he goes. It is to no avail, though. Then they break into heed the sacrifice we offer. Baal, hear us and answer us. Even after all that good singing, <laughs> Baal does what you do, which is, uh, I hope he moves on soon. And then it's our hero's turn. Let's call this Elijah's endgame. He prays, and the full meal deal happens. Uh, the smoke and fire and flame descends licks the ground, sucks up the blood and guts and bull and water and stones and the whole thing. The sound and fury of a tornado-like wind blows through and takes it all up to heaven. And then it gets violent. The violence is, take all the prophets of Baal and not let one of them escape us. Take all and kill them does. Maybe even Elijah himself kills all 450 prophets. Elijah walks away feeling like a winner that day, but as you know, our lives are lived one day at a time because the next day is very different. He doesn't feel like a winner anymore because the King Ahab and his wife Jezebel put a price on his head. Violence feeds violence, you know. As I said last week, I believe this is uh, in the Bible, that God's people are on a learning curve about violence. And maybe even God, God's own self, has some learning to do. So what does our superhero, our Iron Man, do? He flees, fearful and frightened. Run away, run away. And he runs away. Forty days and forty nights he runs, and he arrives finally at a pondering place. Chapter 18, he's on, been to the mountaintop. Chapter 19, he is in the belly of the cave. First movement is Elijah claims his place in a noisy world. The second movement of the story arc, Elijah finds his place to work on himself and his relationship to the God of silence. Some of you may remember the, therapy, the, the psychiatrist in Atlanta, Tom Malone. In his book, The Art of Intimacy, he begins with this line, 
I know well what I am fleeing from, but not what I am in search of. That's my experience that that can be part of the journal entry of every man I know. Every, that's why every man needs a man cave or a tree house to ponder that search, what I am in search of. Maybe that's why the uh, Gerizim demoniac ended up in the cemetery. I always suspected that he was a former Baptist pastor. And uh, he just did too many funerals, you know? And he would, he spent so much time in the cemetery, he would go, these people really understand me. They, they understand how much I love them. And those people back in the, in the town, they don't, they don't get me. And he became more comfortable among the dead than the living. That's just my theory. He found that he was looking for himself but he couldn't find himself in the city, so he lived among the tombs, the dark place. Hello, darkness, my old friend. I've come to talk with you again. You know who sang that? The Apostle Paul. <laughs> Paul Simon. Don't worry, I don't think I'm singing anymore in the sermon. <laughs> in case you're worried about that. Perhaps this is a good story for a week past Father's Day, because every hero has his or her wounds. But what makes you heroic is what you do with your wounds, how you live with them, how you work at your healing and in relationship to God. He's in his pondering place, this cave, and in the cave God cross-examines him. Why are you here, Elijah? I'm sure Elijah wondered, well, I mean like here in the cave or here on this earth? What are you doing here, Elijah? Are you talking location or are you talking vocation? My hunch is God would say yes. Elijah's answer spills out like he's been rehearsing it. Well, God, I have been passionate because all the people around me are apathetic. I alone am left. They want to kill me. He says the same speech twice, as if God is deaf. Or perhaps it's the equation of his depression. You know, all of us go through life adding up why we feel the way we do. It's this plus this minus this times that divided by, and that justifies why I feel like this, right? It's a structure into the equation. He goes through it twice, tells his obsession, but God doesn't take that for an answer. But at least he talks about it. Uh, I think it is the, the, another part of the kryptonite of every man I know, including me, is that we just can't talk about it, right? I just, I just, yeah, I have some feelings, but I don't understand. I, I just can't talk about it. I heard one writer say, not being able for us to talk about male depression is like drinking salt water thinking it will quench our thirst. At least he talks to God about it. And then there's something new that happens. Something new for Elijah. Because he learns a side of God 
that he didn't know about. He knew about the sound and fury. That's called Adolescent Spirituality 101. But he's getting a new lesson in this classroom. Maturity Spirituality 301 is the silence of God. It's something new for him. Miles Davis, the famous jazz musician, said, Music, you know, he had a gravelly kind of back of the throat voice because he, he didn't talk much. He let his trumpet, his muted trumpet, do his talking. Miles Davis, famous jazz musician, said, Music is not the notes you play, it's the notes you don't play. Music is the silence between the notes. Ministers have to learn and relearn that they are not responsible for God's silence. Got that? I mean, I'm talking to myself and to Daniel. <laughs> yeah. Ministers have to learn and relearn that we are not responsible for God's silence. God is not defendable. We can't argue the case long enough. That's especially tough during weeks like school shootings. It's tough to do when moral leadership stumbles and when so much is at stake. It's tough at the foot of an ICU bed when you're staring at all the monitors and the numbers trying to will the fractions into hope. It's tough to live with the silence of God when we need God to speak and act and do a miracle. That's what we need, a miracle. Chaplain Kate Bastrop, who's written several books that you might have uh, read, is a chaplain for the fire and rescue uh, departments and agencies in Maine, the state of Maine. And as you know, the terrain and the climate of Maine makes rescue difficult. She said oftentimes, when there's a lost person, like a lost child, or someone that's wandered away, it often does not have a good ending to the story because of the situation, because of the environment. She said, but the people are always asking for a miracle. Why didn't we have a miracle? Kate, Kate Bastrop, chaplain Kate, says, well, there is a miracle. Real miracle is that those who go up into the fire, risking their own lives, are part of the miracle. Those who go into the ice-cold, dark water, fearful of what they may find, they are the miracle. The miracle is the first responder who is sitting at the Thanksgiving dinner with the turkey still warm, and upon getting the call, leaves the knife leaves the fork, grabs a mask, a helmet, a rope, and an oxygen tank, and walks away from that Thanksgiving table to look for a lost child who is no longer at a holiday table either. That's the miracle. And some of you are miracles. Maybe all of you are miracles. The miracles of moms who say, we have had enough. More guns don't make us more safe. Miracles happen. Masked among you in the tenacious courage of ordinary folk 
A miracle happens there, right in the mouth of this cryptonic cave. Elijah crawls out, called out by God, and God calls him back into life. Elijah comes out of the silence and goes into a world where he becomes the voice once again. God gets him back in the game. It's like what Jesus did for the Gadarene demoniac that Daniel read about. He wants to be, now that he's healed, he wants to go with Jesus. And Jesus says, no, you can't. You need to go back to town. Sends him back to family and friends to tell his story. Almost like there's more healing to be found in town among your fellow and familiar sinners than there is to be found about going with the world's itinerant Savior. Turns out that Elijah complained, I'm all alone, and that was how his projection was skewed. The next text says there are 7,000 still who have not bowed the need, kneel, the need to Baal. No longer is Elijah ground down when he leaves the cave. He is grounded on the terra firma of God. And so are we, and so are you, as we leave this cave-like chapel in a few minutes. To go back into a world of deep fear, where the echoes of Charlottesville are still in the air, where the church massacre in Charleston is not that far away, or watching the world's warming, or sensing that hearts are hardening, or that the power of privilege has been in this slow-gathering storm and its structures are holding in place. That is the world that we have been called to go in when we leave this place of silence and some sound. I confess that I have a lot to learn. Maybe we have a lot to learn. And we learn by living. And even we learn when we are quiet. And we listen for the sheer silence of God. Amen.
Each time we gather, I bring celebrations and concerns and some announcements, and I want to give you all of those this morning. Uh, directly after the service, Murdy Cope is here and will be taking uh, member directory photographs. So if you've signed up for this Sunday, will you meet Murdy in the colonnade uh, around the sanctuary? You can go out this door that I'm pointing to in the chapel and just walk around. If you haven't had your picture and you, uh, made yet and would like it taken, I'm sure there are slots available. Just go and walk over there. You don't have to have a reservation. Am I saying that right, Murdy? Thank you for doing that. Um, also, we have our lemonade uh, stand set up again. This will be out throughout the entire summer. A dollar for Tolliver. We're raising money through our children's ministry for missions. And children, if you want to go and help uh, Miss Andrea right now set up the lemonade, if you could walk to the back and go with Andrea. And for all of you, get your dollars ready. It's time to give to missions and get lemonade if you want it to. Uh, let's see, where's Sid Janney? Sid Janney, I'm calling you out today and, and telling you that we're so glad. You weren't, here, um, you weren't here last Sunday, but we're so glad to tell you in person that congratulations on being a new grandmother. We were delighted for you. We gave Don all the spotlight last week. Um, congratulations to you, and the information is on the back of the order of worship. Also, you can find in the back of your order of worship information about the wedding ceremony that will be uh, this coming Friday, July 5th at 7 p.m. in the sanctuary of our own Susan Harlan and Michael Mosley. All are invited. And they're there. You were hiding. Y'all getting married? Congratulations. Be there. Much to celebrate. Also, uh, Habitat for Humanity uh, sign-ups are in, on the table in the back of the narthex. August 3rd is our interfaith lead day. Uh, Northside Drive will be leading. There will be child care provided if you need that. Would you let uh, one of us know if that's your desire? And we need volunteers for both the build and for child care and other things. You can sign up in the back. Some prayer concerns to tell you about this morning. Um, first of all, Kathy Harris's mother, Dorothy Johnston, died yesterday morning. So our prayers are with Kathy, and the service will be next Saturday, or this coming Saturday, rather, in Hendersonville, North Carolina. We pray for her family. We pray for the family of Carolyn and Virgil Herndon, because Carolyn's uh, sister, Betty Jean Evans, is on hospice care, and... Betty Jean Evans' daughter-in-law, whose name is Wanda, was giving care to her this past week and died of a heart attack. So that family is really struggling with some tough times. So please pray for Carolyn Herndon and for Wanda's family. Lord, have mercy. Those of you uh, who have your own prayer concerns, um, you can say them in your own heart now. Or tell a minister about them. We'll be happy to pray with you. Now, the choir has taken a sabbatical, right? I mean, they're not, they're not here. I don't see them. They haven't been raptured. However, fortunately, we're graced this morning to have Robert Torrey to sing the offertory hymn. I'd like to call upon Robert now to come forward, and we look forward to hearing your music. Thank you.